Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Last Sunday, we talked about understanding spiritual gifts, and one of the things we learned last Sunday was that was that there's a difference between a natural talent, natural gift, and a spiritual gift. That, and that what we often do is we confuse the two. What we often do is we take our natural talents and we use them for the Lord and call that a spiritual gift. But actually, they're very different. And it's not that you shouldn't use your natural talents for the Lord. Of course, give everything you have in service of our king. Use your natural talents for God. But that's different than a spiritual gift. We noticed we made a case from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week that your spiritual gift, that the spiritual gifts, there's something otherworldly about something, dare I say, spiritual about a spiritual gift. You can't quantify it in the flesh and in the natural. There's something, it's got an extra to it. And we made that case from Scripture last Sunday. And if you want to hear that message, you can. It's on our podcast. Feel free to look it up. If you're going to find New River Church's podcast, you have to search for Doug Rouse, because if you search New River Church, you'll find another, like three other New River Churches. So you have to find Doug Rouse, and that'll get you to our podcast. But you can listen to that from last Sunday. At the end of the message last week, we talked about this thing called fear. We talked about how when you're, one of the ways that you know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, when you know that the Holy Spirit is actually wanting to bring a spiritual gift through you, is you're going to experience a little bit of fear. That's normal. There's resistance in it because it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And the enemy, of course, does not want you to bring that gift. But the Spirit is prompting you to bring it, you're going to feel a little bit of resistance and pushback, and that's normal. But that kind of brought up this question. Well, how do I practice the spiritual gifts? How, how do I actually do this then? If there's going to be a little bit of fear, okay, I can expect that. Now what? Are there three steps? I wish I could tell you there were. It's not like that at all. But we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. And some of you are going to think, why are we even talking about this at all? Because I know that the moment we talk about spiritual gifts as a church like this, and last Sunday and today, probably makes some of you very uncomfortable because you've been in church settings before or other settings where you've seen it go a little wacky. Anybody experienced wackiness in the church? I know I have. I'm, I'm not going to deny it. And I've been there, and you think, mm, mm, you're almost embarrassed to be a Christian sometimes. And so, and, and so you're thinking, because I've had that experience, oh, no, oh, no. Don't, no, don't let New River Church is such a nice church. Oh, don't go there, New River Church. Oh, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> and, and listen, can I just encourage you this morning? Okay, this might not encourage you, but it's kind of like the windstorm that happened this week. Wasn't that awesome? On Wednesday night into Thursday, I woke up Thursday morning, my yard was like a war zone. It was a mess. Sticks and twigs and trees and branches all over the place. It was crazy. 
What's crazy about it is it's just the wind. I can't see it. But look at all that it does. You know that in the Bible, the word spirit, Holy Spirit, the word spirit is also translated as wind and breath. That in the Old Testament Hebrew, the Hebrew word is, is ruach, means spirit. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is pneuma, means spirit. Ruach and pneuma both get translated as wind, breath, spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like the breath of God. And I'll and I tell you what, that's a powerful wind, isn't it? And sometimes, you know, I say this, the infinite can't move into the finite and not mess it up a little bit. You're going to expect a little bit of mess when that happens. But it's kind of like this. Have you ever been into a house? Some houses are so clean, they're uncomfortably clean. Have you ever been there? You walk into somebody's house and it's just like a museum. And, and you don't want to touch anything because you don't want to break it because it's so clean in that house. And then you walk into other houses and they're just a complete disaster area, a mess. And okay. And then there's the houses in the middle. And some of them are just, they're just lived in. They're nice. They're not, they're not clean, but they're, but they're clean enough. You know, the pillows may be a little not as fluffed up as they could be. There might be a smudge on the wall, might be a couple of toys on the floor, maybe, but it's lived in, and you're comfortable there. Can I say that that's my vision for us, church, that we would be that lived-in church? That, 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 and I'm not talking about the building, although, sure, the building, too, but I'm talking about us as a people, that we could be the kind of people that we're lived in, where, you know, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time, but we're not going to be a disaster either. But in the middle, we're going to make a few mistakes, and we're going to have some ups and downs, but we're going to grow together in it. And we want to be, may we be the people that, that the world around us can say, I like those guys because they're comfortable. I like those guys because I feel like I could be myself there. I don't have to put on any pretenses, no airs. I can actually grow there because I, I know that if I make a mistake, if I blow it, they're not going to judge me for it. We're just going to kind of have a good laugh and keep on moving, and we're going to learn together. That's the dream and the vision, I guess, that I have for this. I believe with all my heart that these spiritual gifts are necessary, friends. That the world is dying to see the church in power, and that the difference between you and your nice friends is the power of God. That's the difference. And, and, and that, that when you claim, when you claim as a follower of Jesus Christ to have the Spirit of God living in you, that then that actually sets up a certain expectation that the people around you are like, well, okay, I want to see that. See, the Spirit of God in you and me ups our game. If, if I said to you, hey, I have a supernatural ability to play basketball, wouldn't you expect that I'd make more baskets? Maybe my game would be a little different than everybody else's game. And what I'm saying is, is your friends that don't know Jesus yet, they're listening to you talk about how you have God 
living in you, and they're wondering, well, why isn't your game any different than mine? You're just as worried as I am, just as stressed as I am, just as confused as I am, just as lost as I am. The only difference is you go to church on Sunday mornings and I don't. What's the difference? And I'm not saying that. I know that came out really harsh. I'm not trying to beat you up. Not at all. I'm just saying, I'm trying to set the, the, the stage. We need the power of God and we have the power of God. We just need to start walking in it. And I have a word for you this morning, a prophetic word, that today is the day that we get activated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you get a credit card in the mail, one of the first things you got to do with your credit card is what? You got to activate it. You got to call the 800 number and make sure that you're the person on that card and activate the credit card. If you took that card and you tried to use it someplace without activating it, you wouldn't be able to use it. You've got to activate it first. Today is Activation Sunday for New River Church. I'll tell you right where we're going to go so you know it, so you're not surprised, so you can leave now if you want to. So you go, oh, whew, okay, suddenly, look at the time, I got to go. So here's where we're going to go today. You ready? Make you nervous. We did this in the first service, and it was so cool. So, wasn't it? First service, good, sweetie. We had... I said, we had everybody come to the altar who needed prayer for anything. Just come for any old prayer request whatsoever. And then the rest of the people who didn't have a prayer request, they came forward and prayed over the people that were at the altar. The whole church became the ministry team, the altar team this morning in the first service. And it was awesome. So that's what we're going to do at the very end. Ready? That's where we're heading. Now, some of you are thinking, but, uh, you know, well, <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> and I'm saying, yes. I'm convinced with all my heart that we can be supernaturally natural. Naturally supernatural. How's that? That's better. That we don't have to be weird, but we can be powerful. I want to answer two questions as we get started. The first question is this, do I have a choice? How does this work? Does the God of the universe just take me over and possess me somehow, and then I find myself just speaking in tongues on the street somewhere? Is that how this goes? And I want you to know the answer to that question is you have a choice. Yes, you have a choice. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, it says, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, you have a choice. But you need to understand something. The God of the universe is giving you an invitation. And you can receive it. And I want to encourage you to receive it today. But there's nobody going to force you. It's yours. But you can have it if you would like it. The God of the universe is inviting you to partner with him, to work, to be used by him, to work with him, to bring eternal change in the world around you and in people's lives around you. Would you like the power of God to work through you? I do. I know that. And then the second question we want to answer this morning is this. Well, if it's God, why do I have to practice? It's a decent question. Because we would assume that if God's doing it, it's going to automatically be good. <laughs> why would I have to practice if it's God? And to that, I would answer it this way. You know... 
It's like every other area of my walk with Jesus. In my Christian life, I'm growing. And I'm growing in this area as well. I've been walking with Jesus for 38 years. It's hard to believe. And you know I'm a different man today than I was when I first started walking with Jesus. Why? I've grown. Praise God for growth. And the same thing works with your spiritual, with the spiritual gifts. I keep saying yours, but they're really not yours. They're God's given to us, through us. But the same thing works with spiritual gifts. We grow in them. I love this story in the Bible, and now we're going to get to Matthew 10 in a second, I promise. There's this story in the Bible where Jesus' disciples, they are, well, Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up on this mountain side, and Jesus has like this little mini retreat with Peter, James, and John. It's a great time. They're up there meeting with Moses and Elijah, and it's just this awesome experience. Meanwhile, the other nine disciples are down in the town getting themselves into trouble. They're trying to cast a demon out of this kid, and they can't do it. And they're really making a mess out of it. It's kind of a humorous scene, I think. It's really becoming a mess. And so Jesus, he, he leaves the, he finishes his time, his retreat with Peter, James, and John, and they're coming down the mountain. And you can just see them, like they're flying high, like the men from the men's retreat coming off your retreat singing it's awesome and they walk right into this big mess caused by the other nine guys and jesus has to you know he sets the kid free and fixes the whole problem thank you jesus for bailing us out he does it all the time and then later on the nine disciples they say why couldn't we do it and jesus teaches them in that moment this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting he says the thing that's interesting is that these same nine guys earlier had been sent by Jesus out on a missions trip where they were casting out demons, healing the sick, preaching, doing all kinds of miracles. And I can see their thinking, how come we could do it then, but we couldn't do it here? I just set a kid free from a demon last week, and now this one I can't. Jesus, what's up with that? I take from that the comfort that my responsibility is to pray. My responsibility is to obey. And sometimes when I do, a miracle happens. Other times when I do, the crickets chirp. Nothing happens. But if I'm not going to take the credit when it works, I can't take the blame for when it doesn't. My responsibility is to be faithful, available, open, and let the Lord use me as he sees fit. That's my responsibility. What God does with it from there, that's between him and that person. See? So we're practicing, we're learning, we're growing constantly all the time. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 10. I want to show us, I, I call Matthew chapter 10 Jesus' locker room sermon. So we've got the Sermon on the Mount. That's a cool sermon. People are familiar with that. This is the locker room sermon. Because here's what Jesus does with his disciples, his 12 guys. He literally just calls them to be his disciples. And one of the first things he does is he sends them out on a missions trip. You see, Jesus, you need to know this about Jesus. Jesus is, a, is really into on-the-job training. 
Jesus is less likely to have you sit down in a seminar and fill out your book with all your blanks and walk home with a nice notebook and more likely to just throw you into the fire, see what you do with it, and walk with you in it, and then process it. That's how Jesus does it. He's on the job training with his guys. He calls his 12 guys. And you understand, not too much longer, not too much time before this we're about to read, these guys were fishing in a boat. They're, they really are newbies. And Jesus actually has the nerve to say this to them. It's pretty cool. And I would say the same thing to you and me, because I don't know about you, I still feel like a newbie. Any newbies in the room? I feel completely out of my league 90% of the time. And so I take great comfort from this passage. And I don't know how locker room speeches typically go. I was never an athlete. I never got to play organized sports growing up in school at all, so I don't know what happens really in a locker room. My only familiar with, familiarity with locker room speeches is what I've seen in the movies. And in the movies, they're pretty inspiring. Like, like in Remember the Titans, that's probably one of my favorite all-time locker room speeches ever. In that movie, you ever see the movie Remember the Titans? It's a classic. No? You're not, look, you're not sure. You got to go look it up. It's a great movie, man. It's all about racial tension, and it's such a good movie. And yeah, So anyway, in the movie, you got Denzel Washington coaching this mixed racially mixed football team back in, I think, the late 60s, early 70s, and it's just so cool. And he gives him this big speech in the locker room, and he tells him, may they always remember the Titans, he says. And the football team is all pounded on the floor, and they're chewing on the lockers, and they're running out in the field. A lot, of, a lot of testosterone coming out onto the field that night because the speech pumped them up and got them out on there. I think that's how a locker room speech ought to go. Well, this is Jesus' locker room speech. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. It says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the Home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, 
let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You're going to be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. It'll not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. How many times have we said in the last number of weeks that we're not talking about your gift or my gift? This is something that God wants to do for someone else, and he happens to choose you and me to bring it. You and I are simply the delivery mechanism. It's not your words, it's his. That's what we're doing. So let's start here in verse 1 and just see where this goes. So in verse 1, we're told that Jesus calls his disciples. Don't make the mistake of thinking that this only references these 12 guys, that these are the only 12 disciples of Jesus. No. A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus. Is it your desire to follow Jesus? Are you following him? Is it your desire to imitate him, to learn from him, to, to, to have his attitude to talk like him, act like him, feel like him, to, to, literally, to literally imitate him in your life. That, that Jesus actually is smart and he knows what he's talking about. And it's like, I, I want Jesus' direction for my finances. I want his direction for my marriage and my home. I want his direction for my job and my work and my friendships. Like, Jesus actually knows what he's talking about, and I'm listening for it, and I want to follow through with it. Is that your desire? Then, it, then you are a disciple of Jesus. And now this is you, my friend. Jesus is calling his disciples. And look what he does. He gives them authority. He gives you authority, friends. Authority. That's huge. Authority and power are two different things, but they go together. Authority is I have the power and the permission to exercise the power. I'll say it this way. A thief with a gun has power, but a police officer with a gun has power and authority they have, because they have the power and the permission to use it when necessary. You see the difference? And Jesus says, you have authority. You have it. Jesus gives it to you. It's something else about authority. You don't have authority on your own. Authority never comes just because you're so great. Authority is bestowed on someone. And Jesus, the God of the universe, has given you authority to do what? Well, to drive out impure spirits, and to heal every disease and sickness. You have the authority to do that. You say, well, why does this seem so hard? Can I tell you, the devil's a lawbreaker. And lawbreakers don't respect your authority. Does that make sense? Just because you have authority doesn't mean that the other has to respect your authority 
or acknowledge your authority. But that doesn't mean you don't have it. You have authority given to you by the God of the universe. Now exercise your authority. Exercise it in your home. Exercise it at your workplace. Exercise it as you pray. Exercise the authority that God has given to you. Look at verse 4. It says that we get this whole list of the 12 disciples, but notice the last one that it mentions. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. You know what that tells me? That tells me you don't have to be perfect for God to use you mightily. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you powerfully. Judas Iscariot is in this list. Judas, the one who be Judas had betrayal in his heart as he lays hands and prays for sick people and saw them get hold. God used Judas mightily for three years before Judas betrayed Jesus. The whole time Jesus knew that he was the betrayer and yet continued to give him the authority, continued to let him go. Judas was serving him and being used by God the whole time, part of the whole group, the whole time. Listen, you're no Judas. Amen, right? Aren't you thankful? I know you. I know you. You're not a Judas. Bonehead sometimes, yeah. We got good days and bad days, make mistakes, sure. But you're not a Judas. And if God can use Judas, he can use you. That's, that's a good word right there. Thank the Lord. So we're not talking about you and me being so perfect, super saint, that we float and God uses us. We're talking about you and me, normal people, who have our good days and our bad days being used by God mightily. Jesus then, it says this, verse 5, then Jesus sends these guys out with the following instructions. And his first instruction is about who they're not to talk to. And I, that's kind of interesting. And I, I know we read it as odd. But I think that really what he's meaning, what it, what it means is this, that Jesus was giving them a specific audience. It doesn't mean that these other people were not loved by God. It doesn't mean that he wanted to ignore them because on this list here are Samaritans. And Jesus talked to a Samaritan woman at a well. So clearly Jesus is not against Samaritans. It was just simply for this mission he's sending his boys out because what they were doing was they were actually setting the stage for Jesus to come later. These guys went to towns where then in the coming months, in the next couple of years, Jesus was going to come and minister. So they were sort of serving as the advance team for Jesus, setting up the ministry that was going to happen. So Jesus is specifically sending them to them. That's what he's doing. Jesus is specifically sending you too. I believe with all my heart that where you work, you're called to work there and that God has put you there. And I believe with all my heart that where you live, God has put you there. That's, that's, he's called you there. He's called you to this town, to this place, to that neighborhood, to that workplace. He's called you to this church. He's called you here for a reason, for a purpose. He wants to use you for some, in some way there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love all these other people. He's just calling you to there. And then Jesus says, Jesus gives them a message, and he gives them a mission. He gives them a, a message to preach, and he gives them miracles to perform. Notice the message. The kingdom of God is here. That's their message. You know, their, their word was not, hey, come to my church. 
which is great. Can I just say, invite your friends to church. That's a great thing. But greater than invite your friends to church is introduce your friends to the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God, my friend, is so awesome. The kingdom of God is where the joy is, where the peace is, where the power is at work. It's where sick bodies are healed, where broken lives are changed and made whole. It's that's the kingdom of God. We're inviting people into the kingdom. That's what Jesus invited people into. And then as we do, we demonstrate the kingdom with miracles. Look at the miracles. Wow. You're talking about healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who have leprosy, driving out demons. You see, they're given a message and a mission. Can I tell you this, friends? If the gospel you preach doesn't have the power to impact a life, you're not preaching the gospel. I don't want a gospel that doesn't have power. I'm not interested in just a nice little saying. We're not, we're not just slapping bumper stickers on people's lives and giving them nice things to think about. No. The, if the gospel we preach doesn't have the power to change lives, then we need to stop preaching it. Because your friends are desperate. They're hungry. They want to know. Is this God you're talking about? Is he real? Is he, is he real? And, and can he do, can he fix the problems I got in my life? Can he heal this? Can he do this breakthrough? Can he do that? And friends, God's commissioned you to be the one in that moment to say, yes, he can. Yes, he can. I like how Billy Graham used to put it. He said, I don't know I don't know all the answers, but I know the one who does. See, my job is to take people's hands and connect them with the one who has the answers. Last week, Elaine had this word in her heart about us being priests, and that's really the job of a priest. A priest's job is to be the bridge between, is to take the hand of people and place it into the hand of God to connect men and God. That's the job of a priest, and you, my friend, are a priest. The Bible calls every one of us a priest. That's our privilege. And so we have this message. The kingdom of God is here, and we have, these, we have this job to do. Raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out the demons, give the devil a headache. Come on. That's what we're here to do. And then, and then he says this next piece, which is sort, of, um, is sort of interesting. He says, freely you've received, freely give it. If... if have you ever had these conversations with people where they say, what would I do if I won the lottery? And usually people, it's kind of a conversation you have over coffee sometimes. What would you do if you won the lottery? I think the jackpot's supposed to be big right now or something. So what would you do if you won it? And then people often say, well, I, I, w I would buy my parents a house. I would pay for the kids to go to college. I'd pay off college. I think I would help out this person or that person, and I'd probably give to the soup kitchen. Oh, and then I would definitely take a vacation, a nice vacation. And I think I might buy a supercar, maybe, might do that. But the first couple of things on their list is often how they want to give it to something. I think that's kind of interesting. We all have that in us. Because the idea is, I've just come into an extra million dollars, now I can bless somebody. Freely I've received 
freely I give. Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. The power of God has flowed into your life to transform you from the inside out. That was free. And now you have the same ability to give that away to as many people as can take it. Freely you've received, freely give. Love that. This next little spot, though, is a little weird. He says, go into somebody's house, and if they're worthy, give them your peace. If they're not worthy, take your peace back. It's kind of odd. I think I can say it like this. What he's saying is, be discerning. Okay, not everybody is going to receive the gift that you have to give, and that's okay. And so if they don't receive it, no sweat. Listen, you have the hope of eternity. You have the answers. You have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. You have been freely given all things by the God of the universe. This is you. They need what you have to give. If they don't want it, that's their problem, not yours. Jesus made this statement that seems kind of weird to us. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. And I think, oh, that sounds, I'm uncomfortable with that, Jesus, because I can't call somebody else a pig. Like, that's not really cool. But the, but the saying is simply this. Be aware of who actually is receptive to the gift that you have to give. Don't waste your time, so to speak, trying to earn somebody's, trying to get somebody to like you. Instead, give the gift that God has given you to give, and, and it benefits them to receive it. Don't be offended if they reject it, and certainly don't spin your wheels trying to win somebody. It's not about winning people. You ever notice Jesus didn't seem to do that? He didn't seem to win. Jesus, can I just say it? I love Jesus. There's, this, this is one of the things that I just marvel at is how Jesus didn't explain himself always. Jesus like just made these statements. He just dump them, and people walked away. Like his eat me sermon, the, the, that one in John 7 where Jesus said, hey, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and the whole crowd walks away. And I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, I'd be like retracting my statement. Oh, no, this is not what, that's not what I meant. I really meant to say this. I really didn't mean it that way because it really would make me feel bad to have 5,000 people walk away. And Jesus just is like, okay, it's another day. Cool. How does he do that? <laughs> this, that's this principle. I give, I give the gift that I have to give. How they receive it, that's between them and the Lord. I'm going to give it my best. This is not an excuse for you and me to be jerks. Not at all. But I give what I have to give, and if it's received, great. And if it's not, okay. And then he closes this little section by talking about us getting thrown in jail and arrested and the bad things going on. You know, sometimes it's received and sometimes it's rejected. But you and I have a responsibility every time to honor the Lord in it, to be faithful. And then this last statement he closes in verse 20 is this. It will not be you speaking, 
but the spirit of your father speaking through you. It'll not be you, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. I don't know. I said it last week. I've said it a couple of times. This whole thing requires dying to ourselves. It can't be about us, friends. It can't. I have to really, I have to really let that go. It can't be about whether or not people like me or how good I look. It can't be. It can't be about me. I want, I want, I want to disappear. I want them to see Jesus in me. Isn't that your desire? I want people to see Jesus. I want people to experience the presence of God through me. And I, a long time ago, you've, I've, said it, I've said it here before, ministry is like getting a drink out of the hose. Sometimes the water is good, but sometimes you taste the hose. And some of us are a little more hosey than others, for sure. And you know, we've got to, oh man, God, I want to be less and less hose. I guess that's my point. So, so that there's, I don't get in the way of what it is that you want to do. Um, I want to close with an illustration. I, uh, I, need a, I, need a volun, I need a volunteer to come and sit on this stool for me as we close. And Karis, you can come and play. And uh, so who's my, my volunteer? Ah, okay. Come on up, Marissa. <laughs> you ready? You brave? So, so here's the... Okay. That's not the illustration. I'm just playing. So, so Marissa, um, in this illustration, in this illustration, you represent the you represent people, anybody, church people, world people, people you work with, people you see at the grocery store. You just represent people, okay? And and in this illustration, I know this is a stretch, but I represent God. That's a big stretch. So, uh, but just. Roll with me for a second. So I, I represent God in this illustration. And this little piece of chocolate, it, it represents everything that you need. I mean, it represents the hope that you're looking for, the answers that you're looking for, the healing that you're looking for, the, the solutions that you're looking for. This, this represents really what God has for you to meet those needs, that your life is made whole. But you're not allowed to, you're planted on earth and uh, you really can't move from that spot. So I want to invite you to come and get what God has given to you. Try to reach for it without moving. See? Because you're planted in the natural realm. You're planted on earth. And so what does God do? God raises up other people. And that's what this represents. This is you and me. This tube. And God, and God sends. There you go. You caught it better. In the first service, Matt didn't catch it. So I've we got somebody that could catch, Matt. That's good. 
I'm happy. My wife told me to be nice. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm just playing. So, <laughs> thank, thank you, Lord, for my wife. So, it's a simple point. You get it, right? That God uses people to minister to people. That the power of God is available to people. The power of God is available to people. And God uses people to bring that to people. And, and Jesus is calling his disciples, New River Church, calling his disciples, and he's giving you authority to say, now, I, now you go and you represent me. And you preach the kingdom is here. You preach to this world that, hey, by the way, there's hope, there's healing, there's joy, there are solutions, there's an answer, there's a way to have a, there's a rock that your life can be on. This is your privilege. You're preaching the kingdom to this world. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.